morning, church. Good morning. I, um, man, I, I have mixed feelings right now. It, I just am so humbled to, to sing with you guys this morning. Thank you for being here. It's not lost on me that you could be a million other places, and it's not lost on me how much time, talent, and treasure you guys give to this church, and I just wish I could bottle this this morning and take it with me all week. Anybody else? Yeah, so thank you. I love each of you, and you being here just means, it really does mean a lot to me. Let's dive in, okay? Let's not make this about what I feel. Let's make it about God's Word. How about that? All right, Ezekiel, Marty's like, yes, move on. So um, Ezekiel 37, get your Bible out. Turn with me to Ezekiel 37. Uh, I love this passage of Scripture. We're in a little mini-series called Anchors. You know, I'm anticipating that 2024... Uh, the world and the culture is going to attempt to throw a lot of uncertainty at us, okay? And uh, I want your hearts and your minds to be equipped in certainty of the God that we worship, the God of the Bible, and so we wanted to give you some things that you can anchor to in the new year that will keep you from being tossed about. So Ezekiel 37 uh, is where I'm going to land. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you, Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God I, uh, and I also want to encourage you to take notes, okay? So on the back of your bulletin, you can take notes. You can also take notes on the app. And the reason I want you to develop that habit is we are just a few weeks away from relaunching our small groups, and we're going to ask all of you that call this your home church to make an eight-week commitment in a small group. And, uh, and the way you prepare for your small group is to take notes. We do sermon-based small groups, and then you get, gather with other believers, and you unpack the, uh, the text together and apply it to your lives and, so, and care for one another and pray for one another. So we really want you to do that. So the way you do that is to take notes, okay? And so let me just uh, tell you that at Coastal, um, we are strong. My Bible here is a little beaten up, but we are strongly committed to Genesis to Revelation being the Word of God, and we are not wavering off of that, okay? And so if, this, if you park here and you make this your home church, we every Sunday corporate worship, uh, we are going to preach the Word, and we are committed to it, and we don't feel the need to manipulate it. We want it to say what it says, and it's up to us to adjust to God's Word, not adjust God's Word to the culture. You guys with me on that? And, and so that's what you're going to get if you, if you do that. And, and why do we believe that? Why, why do we hold to that at this church? Why is that something deeply ingrained us? I'm going to give you two reasons. There's many, many reasons I could give you, uh, but there, I want to highlight two before we jump into our text this morning. First of all, Uh, We believe that the Word of God is true. It's truth. It's objective. It doesn't change over the generations. It doesn't change over time. It doesn't change according to our feelings. It's objectively true, and it's true for all people for all times. John, Jesus said this in John chapter 17, and what we commonly call Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's his prayer over his disciples uh, before he was going to go be crucified, buried, and bodily raised from the grave and ascend to the Father. And so John 17, Jesus said this in his prayer as he's praying to his Father, sanctify them. The word sanctify means to make them holy. Make them holy. Make them sanctify them in the truth. And then what does Jesus say next? Your word is what? 
is truth, right? So, so we believe Jesus is reminding us, and by the way, Jesus often quoted from the Old Testament as the Word of God, and then we have the New Testament, the Gospels, and then we have the Apostles who have written the New Testament for us to establish the church, or what I like to call gospel outpost, how they're to be organized, how they're to be run, how they're to be operated, and that gives us the Old and New Testament. And all of it is a signpost pointing us to Christ as the object of our worship. You all with me on that? But the Word of God is truth. Secondly, we believe at Coastal that truth brings freedom. And so that means, in other words, the truth is good for us. And so even when it's uncomfortable at times, it's ultimately good for us because it brings freedom and leads us out of bondage. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. A lot of you know John 8.32, right? Where Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will do what? Free, right? So we all know that, but we sometimes skip John 8.31 that reminds us what it looks like to know that kind of freedom in the truth of the Word of God. In John 8.31, Jesus said, if you abide in my Word, abiding is the idea of settling in, hearing it over and over and over. If you abide in my Word, then you are truly my what, church? Disciples or followers of Jesus. And then he says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So that is really our cornerstone this morning, that we believe that the Word of God is life-giving and hope-giving and true and, and grave-robbing and spirit-empowered and all these things that are really, really important to our spiritual lives. So I want to parse. So the rest of this sermon, in some ways, is really an illustration of that. Ezekiel 37 is really an illustration of the power of the Word of God, okay, that I hope will inspire you and encourage you uh, this morning. Now, let me give it a little context before I read it, okay? Ezekiel 37 is given to us through the prophet Ezekiel, and it's really written to the nation of Israel who have, because of their disobedience to the Word of the Lord, had been exiled out of the promised land. And the people are very, very discouraged, and they're hoping, or they've lost hope, of going back to the promised land. So this text is really rooted in the idea of the nation of Israel having life and really fulfilling land promises of the Old Testament and getting back to the promised land. Now, this is where you have to have a really good biblical theology, okay? So how many of y'all were here for the Nehemiah series? Raise your hand if you were part of the Nehemiah. So you guys got a good portion of that. So Nehemiah, through Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and some other key leaders, God restored the nation of Israel back to the land. But as we went through Nehemiah, we learned that the people didn't fully obey God, and so God punted all the promises 490 years to the coming of Christ. Everybody with me? And so Christ fulfills all of the promises of the Old Testament. And what we learned last week is there's two advents of Christ, right? There's the first advent where Christ came to take away sin, right? And then there we're waiting for his second coming or his second advent 
where he will fully and finally establish his kingdom and our faith will become sight. Everybody with me on that? And so I'm taking Ezekiel 37, promise to Israel, land promises, I'm going to run it through the New Testament, and there will be some obvious application here. So you all with me? So please understand, I'm reading this in the context of the scriptures, and I understand the original audience, but I also understand running it through the New Testament, how it lands. So with that, I want you to follow along with me. This is a great, great text of scripture. I'm just going to read it. It stands on its own. It's fantastic. Here we go. Ezekiel 37.1. So this is the, the prophet Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of dry bones. Can you even imagine? And he led me around and among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. You get the picture, right? These are dead skeleton bones. And he said to me, son of man, he asked a question, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So so verse 7 Ezekiel's like, okay, I'll do what you said, all right, verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, and it was bone on bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them. How many of you are like, I'm visioning the walking dead, okay? And flesh came upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say, breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came in them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, behold, they are our bones and they're dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off and therefore God says, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from the grave, O my people, And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Let's do this, man. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask God to bless the teaching of his word. Father, thank you. This is an amazing text. This text reminds us that when you speak, it happens. When you say something's going to happen, we can take it to the bank, God. Your promises are yes and amen. 
God, may we, your people, be disciplined to regularly be in your word. God, so quickly we forget that it's life-giving and it's hope-giving and it's it's powerful, it's sharper. The New Testament is sharper than any two-edged sword, sharper than any weapon, God. And so, God, may your word encourage us this morning and may we be encouraged as your people to be in your word and discipline ourselves to that end. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Verse 3 of Ezekiel 37 is the questions asked to Ezekiel, can these bones live, right? Can these bones live? And Ezekiel goes kind of like, only you know. Listen, point number one, the word of God is life-giving. It's a rhetorical question for God, right? Can these bones live? Of course they can, if I say so. The word of the Lord, this is, of course, it's it's a sermon to the nation of Israel, but it's also spiritually symbolic. It's a word picture. It's a word picture of where we are without the word of God. We're spiritually dead. We're spiritually these bones in the valley of dry bones, and we need the word of God to wash over us, and, and we're dead because we look for life in all the wrong places. I think we're going to find life in the things of this world, and First John tells us this world is passing away and all the things in it. This world is a dead world. You're not going to find life in a dead world. How many of you are live Christmas tree people? Okay, raise, keep them up. Keep them up. Hands high. Live Christmas. I'm a live Christmas tree person. Keep them up. How many of you still have that Christmas tree in your house? Why? You called it a live Christmas tree. It's a dead Christmas tree. It's a fire hazard. It's dead. You, you can decorate it with lights and put stuff on it in the end of November, early December, but that thing is still dying, yes? You get the point, right? We do the same thing. I said to somebody the other day, just this morning, I was like, man, I feel like I'm dying. I was like, well, actually, I am dying. Uh, so, like, that's the thing. It's happening, right? Listen, we can decorate it, and we can take these bodies and, you know, exercise them and eat right, and, you know, that's my favorite bumper sticker. I've told you that. Exercise, eat right, die anyway. So, you know, inspires me to eat ice cream. So, but we can look for life in all kinds of things that won't give us life. Your job's not going to give you life. Your bank account's not going to give you life. Your political party's not going to give you life. Shoot, another person can't even give you life. Your spouse, if you're looking for your spouse to provide things that only God can provide, you're going to be disappointed. It is the Word of God. Listen, any life, any human, any person, any church, any community, any nation that is built on anything other than the Word of God is destined to be a valley of death and dry bones. It's destined for failure. Can these bones live? Well, of course, it's a, God's saying, of course they can live if I tell them to. Of course they can live if they hear and they receive the word of God and obey the word of God. Church, I want to tell you something. We're, we're just a country club or a, a community center if we fail to preach the word of God. I hear this all the time. I meet people all the time coming to Coastal. I've heard it multiple times, probably in the last three or four weeks. Of like, I started coming to Coastal. I was going to the church and started coming to Coastal, and I heard the gospel preach every week. 
like, what, what? Like, what was the other church doing? I heard this this past week. I came to Coastal, and I heard this. Get your Bibles out and turn with me. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You know what the problem with American culture is? It's not whatever political party you're going to get spun up about by the end of this year. It's that the church in America has stopped preaching the Word of God. When the church in America starts redefining marriage, and the church in America starts calling holy what God has called sin, God help that nation. The church needs to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, because it's only the Word of God that gives life. Otherwise, we're all destined for a valley of dry bones. Second thing, I want you to see this morning. I want us this year to be anchoring in the Word of God. And how do we anchor in the Word of God? We've got to hear the Word of God. There's a, there's a whole uh, thread that, that goes through the Bible of hearing the Word of God. Ezekiel 37.4, God says to Ezekiel, he says, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Uh, I heard a story this week from one of our other pastors. He was talking about how David Platt, a famous, pretty well-known pastor, tells the story that when he was in seminary and he was in his preaching class, the, pat, the, seminary, the seminary professor would take them out to a graveyard and have them preach as a spiritual illustration of this passage, right? So by the way, like when you bring a friend here or you're praying for someone to get saved and they hear the Word of God and it's washing over them, at the end of the day, I want you to remember the Bible says all of us, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, before you knew Christ, you were spiritually dead, dead. And the Word of God made no sense to you because there was no life in you. But it's the hearing of the Word of God coupled with the Spirit of God that awakens a soul if God so chooses to awaken that soul. But we have to hear the Word of God. And so this requires for you regular attendance in corporate worship. And by regular, I mean every single week. Did you know that in America, the average evangelical Christian now attends corporate worship once a month. Man, if that's all that we as Christians are getting of the Word of God, it's no wonder the culture's lost. Christians don't even know the Word of God. Christians are not regular. Listen, I want to challenge you this year. If you're a follower of Jesus, and this is your home church, attend corporate worship 52 times a year. You say, oh, I go on vacation. Great. On vacation, tune in online. But don't stay online. By the way, if, you're stay, if that's your home, you're missing out. God created us for community and corporate worship. Okay? The online is a supplement to us gathering together as believers on the Lord's Day and worshiping Him. We have to be in the Word of God, and we have to read, we have to hear it. We have to unpack it in community with other believers in small group. We have to privately read it and let the Word of God wash over us so that we as individuals and we as a church are not swayed by the popular flavor of the day. It's God's Word is the only thing that will last. And I want you in 2024 to be anchored in the Word of God. 
Not in your political party and not in your boyfriend or girlfriend, or your spouse, or your kids, or your 401k, or your job success. We must be anchored in the Word of God because it gives us life and it hope and joy and purpose. It's the only the hearing of the Word of God that brings life to us. And it requires that we're regularly in the Word of God. By the way, it's also why we have to be on mission as a church. We have to take the Word of God to people who have not heard the Word of God so that they can hear it and by God's grace have spiritual life. You all with me? I want to read you a passage out of Romans chapter 10 this morning. Um, the book of Romans, by the way, for the, I know a lot of you know, but for those of you who don't know, it's probably the most theological book of the, of the New Testament. I mean, Paul like goes deep into unpacking the gospel from a theological perspective. And then in, in the about verse chapter 12, he pivots and he, and he starts to make practical applications of the gospel for us as church, as a Christians. And then in chapter 15 of Romans, and so here, you ready? I really believe the book of Romans is a fundraising letter because he ends the book of Romans after unpacking all this great theology. He goes, now listen, it needs to go to the ends of the earth, and I'm going to take it to Macedonia, where the Word of God has not been preached. But here's what I'm going to do first. I'm coming through your church, and then you're going to send me there. What does he mean by you're going to send me there? Anybody? He's raising funds, right? Hey, you're going to make sure I have what I need to take it where it's never been. And why is he so passionate about that? He's so passionate because in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul writes this about the gospel. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone uploads it on TikTok? No, wait a minute. How are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through, what church? The word of Christ. By the way, middle school parents, I want to challenge you, okay? Uh, about 90% of your kids, maybe I'm wrong about that, but about 90% of the time your kids are at some point in their spiritual journey, they're going to come home and they're going to go, man, this, this church is so boring. I'm not going anymore. Okay? Listen, What's always been fascinating to me with Christian parents is if your kid comes home and says, man, English class is so boring, I'm not going anymore, you go, too bad, you're going to English class. But when it comes to the hearing of the Word of the God, how are they going to believe unless they hear? Parents with middle schoolers will go, okay, you don't have to go to church. I want it to be your choice anyway. Not while you're eating my food. That's what I said to my kids. Like, absolutely not. Right, Because I knew that it was hearing of the Word of God washing over them, even when their spirits were dry bones, that the Word of God, you never know when God's going to work and spring them to life. And you know why I know that's the thing? Because that's what happened to me. When my parents drug me to church, I didn't want to be there, and there was a sermon that got preached one day, and I was like, that's me. And the Lord, for the Word of God, the hearing of the Word, 
restored and renewed my soul and said, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And so even as a church, man, when I get up here and go, guys, we're, we're you know, we're planting, God's giving us another gospel outpost. I know some of you are going, I don't know, what are we doing? Here's what we're doing. We're planning gospel outposts where people stand and we're training young pastors so that they get up and they hold this book up and they go, thus saith the Lord, and we are not bending off of it, and we are seeing life happen in the community. Amen? Last week, guys, we had, I mean, let me just, like we had our all-time high non-Easter attendance last week. I don't, like, I don't know what God's doing. It's blowing my mind. Almost 3,100 people at seven campuses. It's incredible because of the word of the Lord. Number three, here we go. I want you to see the results of anchoring the word of God. So I want you to anchor in the word of God. I'll go through these quickly. I want you to see some of the results out of Ezekiel. That's why we got to be committed to preaching the word of the Lord. Number one, or letter A, it's life-giving. The word of God gives us life. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. In other words, so, you know, he knits together these skeletons, but they're not yet living. He says, prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. The word of God gives you life. It's not going to come from the things of this world. This world is a dying thing. Listen, God speaks and the cosmos comes into existence. I don't know if you noticed that in the passage Pastor Spencer read in Revelation, that when the saints fall down and they worship the Lord, what are they worshiping about? That he's the creator. And we learn in Genesis, right? And God said, let there be light. And there was what, church? The next time you see a picture from the Hubble telescope that mind numbs you and blows your mind, I want you to remember, that came from the Word of God. And somehow we, the human beings, think, well, we'll be the ones to determine what gender and marriage is. Leave that up to us. God breathes, he takes Adam and he forms him out of the dust and he breathes and Adam has life. And by the way, part of the text there in Genesis is the idea, it's not just like living life, it's like a soul. He's created for eternity. Jesus Christ hangs on the cross and he declares it is finished. Sin's payment has been full and final and therefore we no longer have to live in sin and shame. If it is finished, and that's what God said, then guess what? It is finished. If God's word declares it to be sin, then it is sin. If God's word declares it to be righteous, then it is righteous. If God's word declares it to be the path of life, then it is the path of life. If God's word declares the gospel to be the exclusive way to God, then it's the exclusive way to God because his word is life-giving. Number two, letter B, his word is hope-giving. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are... The whole house of Israel, behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. And this is the picture of, a, of, our, of our spiritual lives without the word of God. Anybody here ever lose hope? All right, I have. I, I mentioned this last week. Like, I've read this multiple times in the Psalm 40s as I was reading through them a couple weeks ago where the psalmist writes, it's like preaching the word to himself. The psalmist writes, why so downcast, O my soul? He's asking that question like, man, I have so much to hope in and believe in. Why so downcast, O my soul? And then the psalmist answers his own question by saying, 
Put your hope in God. Put your hope in the word of God. When we forget the words of God and the ways of God and the promises of God, our hope begins to leak. Hope is a leaky thing and eventually we'll be hopeless and eventually spiritually we're like these dry bones and it's because the word of the Lord is not regularly washing over us and suddenly we start anchoring ourselves to the things of this world as if they're going to give us hope and the word tells us that the things of the world are dying and passing away. It's only the word of the Lord that's going to endure forever and so we have to anchor to the word of God and we have to daily be in it and reminding us and I know a lot of Sometimes you'll, you know, you might think, well, I heard a sermon a couple weeks ago. I don't even remember it. And I always say this, like, I don't remember what I ate, what I ate last Tuesday, but I do know that it got me through the day. Everybody with me? And so this kind of regular being in the Word of God privately and corporately every week hearing it preached, it, I may not remember every specific thing, but I know it's filling my soul and giving me life and giving me hope on a daily basis. The third thing about the Word of God, number three, or letter C here, it's grave robbing. Let me say that again, because that doesn't seem very exciting to many of you, okay? To those of you that I just reminded earlier in the sermon, we all get a funeral, right? The Word of God is grave robbing. Amen? Amen? Verse 12 of Ezekiel 37, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord your God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. Nobody amen that, so let me read that again, man, because that gives me... uh, I'm getting older and the body's breaking down, right? Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. Oh, my people, and I will bring you into the land of of Israel. Obviously, it's specific to the people returning to the nation of Israel, but clearly we can run this through the New Testament, right? And we can see that Jesus is indeed the first grave robber. In John chapter 11, he, he lets his friend Lazarus pass because he wants to show off his glory and his power and what's yet to come. And Lazarus dies and Jesus shows up and Mary and Martha are a little bit frustrated and Martha's a little frustrated and basically says, if you'd have been here sooner, you wouldn't have passed. And, and Jesus basically says, I'm about to show you something that's going to blow your mind. And then he says this in John chapter 11, verse 26, 25, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? Of course, he goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus, even though he got raised from the dead, is still going to die again. But it was Christ who died and ascended to to the right hand of the Father. And when he comes, all those who believe in him, their graves will be robbed forever and for always. This is, by the way, if you're new to Coast, we call this the good news. The good news is this, right? The, the good news starts with the bad news. The bad news is all of us in this room are sinners. And the word sin means, and we sang about this, the holiness of God. We saw this in the text that Pastor Spencer read in Revelation about Christ being thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The, there, there is this characteristic of our Creator that He is set apart He's set apart from us as creator. Just us, our creature, creatureliness sets us apart from God. But even more than that, our sin. He's holy, he's without sin, and his character demands that our sin be punished. Sin cannot enter the presence of a holy God without being consumed. And sin is this idea that we want to be our own boss. 
right? How many of you are raising young kids and at some point like your, your kid, or have you ever sent one of your kids to go tell one of your other kids to do something, right? You ever done that? Hey, go get your sister, go get your brother. And they go get the sister or brother and the brother's like, you're not the boss of me. You ever heard your kids say that? That's what sin is with us as God. God, you're not the boss of me. I'm going to do it the way I want. I want to be the captain of my own ship, even if it's going to leave me to shipwreck. I'll be my own boss. And sin leaves us under what the just deserving penalty of God. But God is gracious and kind and merciful, patient. If you're here today, you're not yet a Christian. You're now hearing the message God wants you to hear. He's been patient with you. And in His grace, He gave you His very, very best gift. He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, who took on flesh and did not deserve to die. He lived because He lived a perfect life. But Jesus actually chose death, and He chose a substitutionary death where He hung on the cross, and God poured out His, wrath, His holy wrath for my sin and your sin on Christ instead of on you and I. So we don't have to bear the weight of our own wrath. But we have to link on to that redemption or that payment by faith, okay? And so the Bible says that Christ bore substitutionary death, bore the wrath of sin. They laid his body in the grave, and three days later, he bodily rose from the grave. And that did two things. Number one, it authenticated his claims of John chapter 11, of he's He's the giver of eternal life. And number two, he conquered our last enemy, death, by stepping out of his own grave. And so the Bible says in order to link, to be linked to Christ and ultimately to our creator, we have to turn from our sin. So sin, I'm doing things my way, I'm my own, you're not the boss of me, God, I'm going to do things my own way. It's turning from that and believing that Jesus is indeed the rescue plan for our soul that He is indeed the Son of God, the Christ, that He paid a penalty He didn't know, and He bodily rose from the grave. That is the good news. And here's the deal, you ready? If you're new to that and you're hearing that for the first time or it's making sense to you for the first time, here's the mystery and miracle of the preached Word of God. The preached Word of God, letter D, is Spirit-empowered. There is a mystery and a spiritual power to the preached Word of God that God enables with His Spirit to give us spiritual life. And so Ezekiel 37, 14, I will put my Spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Listen, the power of the Word of God is the power of the Word coupled with the power of the Spirit that gives spiritual life. I love what Revelation chapter 22 says when it comes to evangelism. Revelation 22, 17. John writes in Revelation, the spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? It's the church. The spirit and the bride say come. How does evangelism work? It's the spirit of God coupled with the people of God being obedient to the word of God that brings spiritual life to others. Isn't that amazing? It's not like 50-50. It's just how God works. It's His means of grace for people to know the Word of God. And so I want to challenge you this morning, and I'm going to close with this story, a story that Jesus told, actually. Uh, I'm always amazed, and I'm invite the worship team out. I'm always amazed, and you guys, we've built uh, a couple buildings here at Coastal Church for churches and gospel outposts. And uh, the latest one was up in Gloucester, and I know many of you gave your time, talent, and treasure to make that happen, which, by the way, side note, okay, this is really amazing. 
uh, last Sunday, they had almost 500 worshiping in a brand new building up in Gloucester. It's incredible uh, what God is doing. That's like, it's like 70% attendance growth since we did the ribbon cutting. It's really amazing what the Lord is doing. In fact, they were already telling me they need to add on to the children's space. I'm like, we haven't even co- closed the construction loan yet, okay? And you're like already talking about adding on the space. Like, how's that going to happen? But anyway, the thing that always amazes me when we build a building is how long the foundation takes, right? Like foundation, like, oh, we're going to build a building. And the foundation, they pour the concrete, they put all the rebarb. Is that a thing? Rebarb? I don't know. Whatever. They put in big metal rods uh, that look really strong and powerful, you know, and all this stuff just takes time and time and time. It's just like it takes forever for the foundation. And, and then once the foundation's um, like the building just goes, right? Have you ever noticed that? Like, man, the foundation takes so much time. And that's because the foundation is everything to the firmness of that building, And Jesus kind of said something very similar in Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus wraps up the sermon, I would call it the greatest sermon ever preached. He wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, and this is how he wraps it up, and I'll let the story tell itself. It's great. It's good enough, right? Matthew 7, 24. So Jesus gets done preaching this incredible sermon, and he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and, what's it say next, church? does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In other words, when you're building a house and you want to build a firm foundation, if you're going to build on a rock, man, that takes a lot more time, and you got to etch that thing out and chisel that thing out and drive in the foundation in the rock. You know, the whole structure of the house, if you want to build it on a simple foundation, like, that's easy. You can do the easy, safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. But, man, if you want to build something that's lasting, you got to drill down and build it in a strong foundation. you got to build it in the rock. Because what Jesus says next, he says, it's not a matter of if the storms and trials and troubles are going to come. They are going to come. What matters is, what is your foundation once the trials come? You all with me? So the rain fell, verse 25, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Listen, we live in a culture that is calling you Christians, the fool. They're mocking the scriptures. I don't care what Oprah or The View or any politician says. If it's not built on the rock of God's word, you are building foolishly. Yes, the world might look at you and say, you're a fool, but it's Jesus that says, anybody that hears my word and discards them and does what it wants, they indeed are the fool. And so the foolish man built his house on the sand, verse 27, and the rain fell and the floods came, same storm probably, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great fall. Church, I want you to build on something solid this year. I want you to build, anchor your life into something that will not be moved. And so I want to encourage you to two things, two really practical applications, and I'm going to close with prayer. Number one, Practical application number one, I want you to this year, at the root word of the word disciple is the word what? Discipline, right? I want you to discipline yourself to two things, two simple things. Number one, I want you to discipline yourself to come to corporate worship every single week, 52 weeks. 
so that the Word of God washes over you. And the Word of God is life-giving and hope-giving and grave-robbing. And number two, I want you to read the Word of God privately. Did you know that you can read through the Bible in a year by giving it 15 minutes a day? 15 minutes a day. How many of us does social media get 15 minutes a day? Probably all of us, right? So it can't be a time thing. It's got to be a what? The discipline thing, right? So on the way out today, and I hope I have enough, but on the way out, we've got to read through the Bible in a year plan. If you're willing to make that commitment, I want you to pick up this deal and read through the Bible in a year. Now, I know some of you that are like real like OCD, you're like, well, it's already January, whatever. I'm already two weeks behind, all right? You get a two-week extension into 2025, okay? Like you can make it. And listen, I think we grow discouraged in Bible reading plans. Like we start good, we get a couple weeks in, the Genesis stories are great, Exodus is pretty cool, Leviticus is like, what am I doing here? Kind of thing, you know, and, and we grow discouraged. And, uh, and so let me just encourage you, like when I do a Bible reading plan, like I don't beat myself up if I don't get it done in 52 weeks. Y'all with me? Like I just stay disciplined. I plod all the way through it so that I read the Word of God, so that it's regularly washing over us daily, so that we feed spiritually on the Word of the Lord and walk in the strength of the Word of the Lord. All right? So those are my challenges. Amen, church? I want you to anchor in the Word of God. All right, I want to pray, bring the, worship, uh, the prayer team up. Prayer team, come on up on the screens. If you're here this morning you need prayer, don't leave without prayer. If you want to follow Christ, maybe God's working on you, and you want to know how to receive Christ and walk... And the good news of the gospel of Jesus, man, they would love to talk to you about that. I want to pray over you and we'll go out singing. Father, I thank you for these people. I am humbled they're here. I know they take your word seriously, God. But God, we all, hope leaks, vision leaks, righteousness leaks, all the good stuff leaks, God. We, we need to just be regularly reminded, both in corporate worship, small group ministry, daily readings of your word. Help us to be disciplined so that the word, your word, oh God, which does not return void, which is yes and amen, which is life-giving, hope-giving, grave-robbing, spirit-empowered, would wash over us on a daily basis so that we can be anchored to something that doesn't get tossed about by the winds of the culture. Because you, God, are always with us. And now we go out singing to the one that this word points to, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We worship him, and it's in Jesus' name I pray.